confrontations put fear in your heart? When you confront someone, are you doing it for their benefit or for your satisfaction? Do you confront sooner or later? Are you free to forgive? Are you free to confront, rather? Welcome to Freedom Becoming Fully Alive. Our, today, our session today is entitled, Free to Confront. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day that you have made, Lord. It's a glorious day, and I pray that uh, today's session will really speak to our hearts, Lord, and uh, you'll give us your truth and your perspective on relationships, Lord, in terms of forgiving others and how to ask for forgiveness, and now, especially today, how to confront your way and be free to confront on your terms. We commit this session to you today, Lord. Thank you and praise you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to Freedom. We're so glad you're here today. If you've joined us today for the first time, we're so glad you've stepped into the flow of freedom. It's a 21-part series divided into three sections. This particular section is called Becoming Relationally Free. What does that mean? It means free to love and to be loved, free to give and free to receive, and free to live as the son or daughter that our Heavenly Father destined us to live, fully alive and free. That's freedom. Our focus today is being free to confront. I don't know what your experience has been, but I've noticed over the years, it's been my observation and my experience, that when it comes to confrontation, number one, we tend to be afraid to confront. We tend to wait too long before we confront another person. And when we finally do confront, we tend to do it out of frustration or even anger. And when we confront, we often confront for the wrong reasons or the wrong motivation. I don't know if that's been the case with you, but I pray that today you're going to hear and receive new light on the subject of confronting, and you'll see it's not something to avoid at all costs. It's not something to be a last resort, but it's actually God's heart. It's actually, it actually can be a form of loving the other person and being committed to them. Now, purposefully, the last two sessions have been on being free to forgive and free to reconcile, which has had to do with receiving the Lord's forgiveness. We're forgiven sons and daughters, and now, having received, we are commanded to forgive others as he has forgiven us. And, of course, that carries with it the attitude that they owe us nothing for our sake because Jesus has given us everything for his purposes and his glory, and with a grateful heart, having had a debt paid we could never pay, the debt of sin, we just are more motivated to give away what we have received and cancel the debt, because we don't want anything to get in the way of that treasure, the treasure of our relationship with him, first and foremost, and we want to obey him, because we know what's really at stake is our relationship with him, and we don't want anything to hinder that in any way but then also we want right relationship with the other person and forgiving them certainly helps that. Along with that, asking for forgiveness promotes reconciliation where there's forgiving and, and uh, seeking forgiveness and a coming together and the potential of restoration as well. So the attitude of forgiveness lubricates all of this including confronting the other person. Because if all we did was talk about forgiveness, some of you may say, well, do we ever confront anybody? I mean, they're wrong, and don't we need to talk about it? Or are we just supposed to forgive them and just not talk about it? I mean, just pretend there's nothing wrong, like there's, a, there's an elephant in the living room, but we're not supposed to talk about it. No, no, no. We can talk about it, but we need to have already forgiven before we confront, 
And we need to have already forgiven before we even ask for forgiveness because if we haven't forgiven, we're going to have a claim. We're going to have an entitlement mentality. We're still going to be giving to get to some degree. So we need to be free receiving God's forgiveness and having already forgiven the other person forgives, uh, frees us rather, frees us to hear the Lord, hear his voice, be sensitive to his timing, and do we even need to confront them? Sometimes we can just talk to the Lord about it. I've had situations over the years where I've been offended and I've then forgiven, but then I've asked the Lord, Lord, do you want me to talk to this person? And I always want to talk to the Lord first before I talk to them. I always want to forgive the other person first before I would confront them. But Lord, is this an issue with you? And sometimes I've sensed the Lord saying that he just wants me to leave it in his hands and he'll deal with it. And I don't need to confront them. I don't need to talk to them about it. That's not always the case. But today we're going to talk about, when we do talk to them, why and how to go about it. On your outline it says reconciliation may involve a need to confront. Your theme verse for today on the cover of your outline is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, part B, where it says correct, rebuke, encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. So there's a biblical basis for this. Also in Matthew 18, verse 15, we see, if your brother sins against you, go and, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. We'll talk more about that later, but if you do confront someone, normally you start with them and only them in private. And it doesn't, it's not limited to your brother, by the way. Uh, often that question has come over the years, well, do, do these principles, uh, do these teachings, do these truths of forgiving and seeking forgiveness and confronting, do, do they apply just to the family of God? For, for those of us that have surrendered our lives to Jesus and we're born again of the Spirit, and is it just a family thing? Or is it a blood relation thing? It is not limited. It's, it's relational, whether the person knows the Lord or not, whether they're a family member or not. And the reason why the Bible will often refer to your brother or your sister or whatever is obviously that's somebody you have relationship with. So as you have relationship with someone, it obviously is going to apply, and these things are going to come up. And it's normal. It's life. It's relationship. Life is all about relationship, and the Lord wants us to do relationship with each other on his terms. So brother, sister, or neither, saved, unsaved, makes no difference. This is between us and the Lord, and it's an obedience issue between the Lord and us, whether it's forgiving somebody, asking for forgiveness, or confronting someone. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, says... If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back and says, I repent, forgive him. On and on and on. Forgive and keep on forgiving. Repent and keep on repenting. Be reconciled and keep on being reconciled. How to confront another person. When it comes to that point, when it comes to that situation where you're thinking about and praying about confronting that other person, where do we begin? Well, we need to examine our heart, first of all, and repent of any judgmental attitude toward that person. I've already mentioned that to some degree. Certainly forgive them. Let's turn to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Familiar verses to most of us, I'm sure, but I pray God will breathe fresh 
uh, insight into these verses. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, do not judge or you too will be judged. Of course, that's referring to an unrighteous judgment. It doesn't mean you can't observe. It doesn't mean you can't objectively see what's going on. And you can agree with God about what's right and what's wrong in the lives of others. But it, doesn't, it, it means don't play God. Don't pass judgment. That's, that's not our role. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when at the same time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Among other things, that saying that we need to start right here and see what's in our own hearts because if we're focused on the other person and the other person alone, even if we're correct, even if our assessment of their wrongdoing agrees with God, if we focus there, we'll tend not to see what he wants us to see about our own hearts. And isn't it interesting that many times the things that we see in others that are wrong to some degree, we have some of those same things going on in us. And he wants to use them to show us some things about ourselves, not just to focus on them and justify ourselves that we've correctly assessed the situation. They're wrong. I know it. And I feel better that I'm thinking about it right now, as opposed to Lord, what do you want to say to me? This person's hard to be around. This person is offending me all the time. I think this person is wrong, but Lord, what do you want, what do you want to teach me through this? It isn't just, I'm not, I'm not uh, your uh, secret agent or your hired hand going around uh, confronting everybody. I am your son, I'm your daughter. And uh, no doubt if there's something going on in them, that you don't like, and let's say I don't like, you also want to teach me some things through this. So I want to start here. And as I've already said, secondly, forgive before we go. And it says in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, concluding with 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, even as he has forgiven us. So, so far we haven't gotten very far, have we? <laughs> they've wronged us, or they've wronged somebody, or they're wrong, and there's consideration given to confronting them, but we haven't got there yet. And that's good, because we should start right here. Start with the Lord and start with our own hearts. Number three, our attitude should be, should include, wanting the best for the other person and wanting God to have his way with them, with us, and with the relationship. The spirit of this, the attitude of this, really comes through in Philippians, the second chapter, verses 3 and 4. Let's turn to that. Second, uh, Philippians, the second chapter, verses 3 and 4, where it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your atti attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say, he took the fo very form of a servant. He died on the cross for us. God raised him up. But are we considering others more important than ourselves? I mean, do we think we are the ones that are always right uh, for those of us, for, for people that are in relationship with us, for those that are closest to us, would they say that we are willing to humble ourselves? Have they heard us admit wrong before? Have they heard us ask for forgiveness before? As I've counseled people over the years, it's been a very common testimony 
for those that I've counseled to say of their, of their mother, their father, or a significant other, a husband, a wife, they've often said, I have never heard them admit wrong. I've never heard them say, I was sorry. I've never heard them ask for forgiveness. And I'm talking at that point with those that are adults, and they're referring to significant others in their lives, uh, mothers, fathers, sisters, others, wives, husbands. So what would be true of us? Are we willing to admit wrong? Are we willing to ask for forgiveness? Would people have that view of us? Oh, Steve, Steve's never wrong. Steve's never wrong. Never heard him say he was wrong. What would they say? Not that they are the, not that they are the authority. God is the authority. Most importantly, what would God say? Because he knows all things. What's true? That's his view. So when it comes to confronting them, we need to, even before we go, have an attitude that we want the best for them, best for the relationship, and I believe also the attitude that comes through in Galatians 6, 1, which is not listed in your outline, Galatians 6, 1, where it says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. I believe part of what that's saying, the first part more obvious, the second part, when it comes to confronting others, don't think that you're blameless, necessarily. If you are, you are. We want to be above reproach. But we don't want to relate to others like they're the ones that are wrong, but we never are. We don't want to be guilty of pride. We don't want to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We don't want to think too lowly of ourselves either. We don't want to think too much about ourselves. We want to agree with God. So with humility, realizing that that person, if they're really guilty in God's eyes, we had the same potential of being just as guilty or more so. It wasn't just them. Except for the grace of God, we are all capable of anything. So if we're confronting someone, we need to keep that in mind that I could have done the same thing. I could have been just as guilty. So a confrontation shouldn't have the motivation to get somebody, nail somebody. It needs to have an attitude of forgiveness, an attitude of restoration, a commitment to them and what we believe is best for them and what we believe God would want for them. We want what God would want for them. And an attitude of, this is a commitment to them. This is really for them. With all humility. With all humility. It's not like it's a condescending thing, like we're doing them a favor. You know, we're better. You poor thing. You blew it again. No. It's with all humility. Commitment to them. And commitment to relationship is the motivation. Now think about that. Just pause for a moment in light of some of the things I said earlier. And think about when you have confronted people in the past, what has your motivation been? No, no condemnation, no guilt trip. Just examine our hearts, whatever's true. Are we slow to confront or are we afraid? When we do, are we tending to be angry? When we do, are we really doing it for their sake? Or are we really doing it because we want the satisfaction confronting them and giving them a piece of our mind, getting it off our chest, nailing them to the wall perhaps, getting the anger out. I mean, who's it for? Is it for them or for us? Who is it really for? Are we speaking the truth in love? Or are we speaking what we think is true and because we think it's true, we think that justifies it? and even justifies a harsh delivery of that truth, because after all, it's true. After all, you were wrong. After all, you did all this damage. After all, you wounded me. After all, so I'm justified 
It shouldn't matter that much how I'm delivering the package. Here it is. I'm not saying that applies to even anybody in this room, but if it does, I pray the Lord will have his way with us today. <coughs> Excuse me. As I mentioned earlier, step four, approach the person in private. I believe to approach them in private, I think this would have application most of the time. If there are exceptions, we can talk about those later, but I'll major on the norm, and I'll major on the application that this is in the context of a relationship. There are other applications, I realize, but let's keep it in the context of a relationship. So certainly to start in private, because if you do it in front of others, You'll put them on the spot. You'll embarrass them. It'll be a point of shame. You might unnecessarily embarrass yourself, by the way. And I think sometimes confrontations happen in public like that because the person really wants to expose that person. And they, they feel that if other people are witnesses, that maybe that'll, that'll give them more leverage to to get their point across and um, more hope that there'll be a change, that there'll be a response. But it never works that way, does it? If, you, if a person feels ganged up on, uh, they don't tend to respond with humility. And uh, we shouldn't take a pragmatic approach toward this anyway. I think sometimes we tend to look at things in terms of what works. <laughs> It's like, I've talked to this person before in private. It didn't work. So now, here we are. There's some people around. They're friends. They love this person. They love us. It's OK. I'll take another shot at it. Maybe it'll work this time. Maybe it'll bear some fruit this time. Maybe there'll be a change this time. Even if it did work, that doesn't make it right. Conversely, we shouldn't take an approach at relationship-wise when we're relating to somebody. We might be reluctant to say something to someone because we think, oh, they won't listen to me anyway. Oh, it won't make any difference. They'll never change. There's no point, in, no, no point in bringing it up to them. No point in confronting them. They're so prideful. They're so unteachable. It's hopeless. It won't make any difference, so why try? That shouldn't be our attitude either. The issue should be, Lord, what do you desire? And Lord, this is for them and for their sake and for our relationship, and it's not for my satisfaction. And I'm not trying to take any credit if it bears fruit. I want to obey you, and I want to please you. And it's really founded in commitment to them and to the relationship. So I'm not responsible for the outcome. I'm not responsible for their response. I'm not responsible if it does any good or not. It may not do any good. I can remember years ago before I came to the Lord, and I was running my life, and I was insanely jealous, extremely controlling, abusive toward Mindy, and she had come to the Lord, because I had driven her to the Lord by then, and she started relating to me differently. Sometimes she wouldn't even dignify my foolishness. But then at other times, she would speak the truth, addressing the issue, and I knew she was right. But I didn't say anything, because I wasn't going to give her the pleasure that I knew she was right. She could have looked at that situation, and she could have thought, it's not doing any good. He's not listening to the truth. I might as well not say anything. He doesn't agree. It's having no effect on him. I might as well just be quiet. But that, is not, that wasn't her approach. She, was, she had her eyes on the Lord. She was going to speak the truth. And she saw it, and sometimes she said nothing because she didn't want to even dignify it. But it wasn't she wasn't thinking in terms of what worked or what wasn't working. She was committed to the Lord. That was the basis of her commitment to me, even when she had no love in her heart for me. Her commitment to the Lord 
was the basis of her commitment to me. Let's ponder this for a moment before we go on. How has it gone in your life with confrontations? I don't know if it's true of you, but many people over the years have mentioned to me, they'll say things like, I hate confrontation. I'm just not a very confrontational person. I don't like to confront people. I don't like to be confronted, and I don't like to confront others. And I've heard a lot of horror stories about how confrontations have gone that have taken place. But what's your experience been? Let's pause and contemplate that before we go on. How have con confrontations gone in your life? You don't have to be a person that you would categorize as a confrontive person. Being a confrontational kind of a person or not isn't the issue. The issue is obedience. The issue is commitment to the Lord and commitment to relationship. That becomes the motivation. That becomes the, the purpose handle, so to speak, to grab a hold of. You might think that you're a chicken when it comes to relationships. You may think you're not very courageous. Well, I pray you'll become more courageous with a purpose and that uh, your fears will be swallowed up with, uh, with the Lord's courage. As we go on, point five, share your thoughts, feelings, and perceptions as you do finally meet with this person. Then ask questions to give the other person an opportunity to respond and also to determine if you have perceived the other person and the situation accurately. Let me read some verses from Pro Proverbs before I uh, comment further. Proverbs 18, some selected verses there that are mentioned in your outline. Proverbs 18:2. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, he, but he delights in airing his own opinions. And then in verse 13, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. Verse 15, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. The ears of the wise seek it out. And verse 17, the first to present his case seems right till the other comes forward and questions him. As you're meeting with someone, it's so important that you don't come to them having already decided what's true, capital T. Because if you come and you've already decided what their motives are, what their intentions were, and you feel you've got a lock, complete, lacking in nothing on the situation, you're going to come across that way. You're going to come across like you've already decided. You're going to come across like you've already judged them. They're going to feel judged. And you're going to come across like an authority that you, you don't want to be. And it will be ineffective, even if you're correct, even if your assessment of the situation is accurate. And God would say, I agree with you, Steve, on how you see they're wrong. I agree what they did. It was wrong. I agree with you 100%. You've got it, Steve. You see it perfectly. But then what's our presentation like? What's our delivery like? And that's what I'm trying to communicate here in point five. You can come and you can share what seems to be true and what you've been thinking and, and they, what they've said and done. And when they say that, it, it seems to be the case. But uh, you can ask questions as to how they see it and not questions to challenge, not to put them on the spot, not to put them on the defense, but seek to understand and, um, and hold loosely, hold loosely your perception of the situation and hold firmly your commitment to the relationship and your commitment to them and to the Lord. I can remember a situation that um, involved somebody on staff years ago. They're no longer on staff, and I won't mention who they are because it doesn't matter who they are. But this person um, was, was um, 
quite abrupt at times and, and uh, not very nice at times and uh, just kind of um, uh, not very grace-filled and unkind. Um, and it's like, okay, you know, they don't exist for me. They don't have to be nice for my sake. Uh, it's not all about me. I don't have to be treated like a king or anything. Yes, they're not being nice. Yes, they're not being gracious. Yes, they are kind of barbed wire-y at times. And you get too close to somebody that's got barbed wire around them, you get cut. And uh, I thought, I, I can forgive that. I forgive that. They owe me nothing for my sake. <clears throat> but as time went on, I kept asking the Lord. And I said, Lord, what, what should I do about this? Because I don't want it to come across like they've got to perform for me. They've got to be nice for me. I, I, I don't want to come across like I'm being thin-skinned or... Um, um, you know, watching their every move, and they better be up around Steve. You better be happy around Steve. You better be nice around Steve, or he'll bring it up to you, or at least he'll ask you if everything's okay. So you'll be under the Steve microscope if, you, if you're not up and happy every day. I didn't want it to feel like that. So some time went on, and uh, I continued to ask the Lord. I forgave in advance, and, and I went to the person. And I... I I qualified it. I made some uh, comment, comments up front, so to speak. I prefaced it all by saying, you, you probably don't even realize you're coming across this way. Right away, that was intended to disarm. Because I really believe that. I, I believe that this person probably didn't realize it. So I prefaced it and said, you probably don't even realize how you're coming across at times, but this is what I've observed. This is what I've experienced. And, and I shared some of the same things. I thought, you know, you don't have to be nice to me and for me. It's not all about Steve. But the more I've thought and the more I've prayed about it, I was concerned for you. And yeah, yes, it was, I think it was having an effect on our relationship. I don't think it was helping it. And I value our relationship. And, and, you know, I've seen you treat others that way, and I don't think it's going to help you in relationship with them. So as I've thought and prayed about it more, I've decided that the main thing is that I don't want to make it sound like I'm better than you, but I was concerned for you. And uh, somewhere along the line, I said, now, if there's anything that you are struggling with with me, I invite you to bring that up too, by the way. This isn't all about... Steve's sitting down, and you know, Steve's got, he's got the accurate assessment on everybody. So here we are. Steve will speak shortly, and he will let everybody know where they're right and where they're wrong. I didn't want them, I didn't want it to feel like I was the authority on how everybody was behaving. But I was concerned, and I knew my, my heart was prepared. And I'm so happy to report that his response was positive and humble, and he actually began to cry because he said, you're right. I would never want to come across that way, but he said, you're also right. I know what you're talking about. Please forgive me. So it was a positive outcome, and our relationship grew because of it. That's one thing you'll notice, that when there's conflict in relationship and both are willing and both are willing to humble, when you have times when you bump each other and you have conflict and you ask forgiveness and you forgive each other, you actually grow closer. Because I believe this, this whole process of forgiving and asking forgiveness and confronting with the right spirit and with the right attitude actually builds trust. Because we're honest enough to encourage each other and that makes... Uh, and, and we're honest enough to confront each other, and I believe that makes our encouragement more real. My wonderful wife is my best critic, for lack of a better word. She loves me. I love her. She's not afraid to confront me. She does, and she is, she's, she's very wise, so uh, it's, I, I hesitate to say she's, She's never wrong, but it's like she's, she's almost never wrong when she is confronting me on something that she sees is wrong. 
And, uh, but the fact that she's honest enough to tell me when she thinks I'm wrong and honest enough to express a concern that she has when she thinks I'm getting off the track on something, um, that makes her, the, the positive things, the compliments and uh, the encouragement all the more trustworthy because she'll say both. It isn't just one or the other, it's both. And that kind of reality, that kind of authenticity builds trust. Now I've had situations where it didn't go well when I tried to visit with someone and I've been a part of situations where Mindy and I tried to visit with someone and it was just, it was just like going into a spider's web. You know, the more we talked about it, it just was getting spun around and it just was going nowhere and the blame was coming back on here. And um, you, you, you learn in those situations that, you know, agreement can't be the goal. <laughs> and, and you realize sometimes you're dealing with more than flesh and blood and that the enemy's getting in there. So you, you learn how to approach things and, and not let the other person be the authority, but you always want to keep your eyes on the Lord and your heart pure before him. And uh, because there are some times when you, after you confront someone, it won't go well. But um, you can still have peace that your heart was pure, your heart was prepared, you meant the best. If they were not able to receive it because of issues in them, you know, they may not have been able to, been able to hear it. Let's say from God's point of view, you did it perfectly, and they still got offended, they still got on the defense, and they still... It still blew up in your face. Does that mean you were wrong? You've got to ask the Lord how you can learn and how you can grow more sensitive in terms of how you approach things, but you could handle it perfectly and it could still blow up in your face. That's why agreement can't be the goal, results can't be the goal, positive results. The issue must be you really believe this is what God wants you to do and you're not taking responsibility for the outcome or the response. You're really committed to them. You're committed to the Lord and you're committed to them. And sometimes it takes time for things to change. Mindy spoke the truth, others were praying, but I eventually came to my senses. But we tend to think, oh, if they don't receive it right now, oh, I failed, well, it didn't work. But God's not done. As it says in Galatians 6, uh, verse 9, don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. We need to take a, a farming approach to this, sowing seed, sowing seed, watering in prayer, trusting the Lord with the outcome. He is the Lord of the harvest. In part six, if you proceed to confront the person further, don't attack. Let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. Sometimes we see it so clearly, so we think, and we don't necessarily intend it, but it's almost like we, we have as part of our mission that before the conversation is over, they'll see what we see, they'll agree with what we agree with, and there'll be a total resolution at that time. And, and sometimes, if we're not careful, our intensity can get in the way, because we're so convinced. So uh, there again, our tone, our intensity, we don't want to force it. And here again, that's another, that's another integrity check. What's our motive? Is our motive for our sake, for our satisfaction, that they respond to our satisfaction? Or is our motive, we really want the best for them? We're not saying that we, we're not playing God. We, you know, we see in part, but with all sincerity and humility, we're going to, quote, deliver the package, if you will. The love gift of, of, of uh, grace and truth and love. And we are not responsible what they do with it, and it may not be until years later that there's really a change. And it doesn't mean we're always right, or, or it doesn't mean we're correct, or it doesn't mean our assessment is 100% is accurate. That's why, as I mentioned in part five, that we ask questions to make sure we discern correctly and, and uh, make sure we're seen correctly. And uh, we may revise our confrontation by the, by the time the conversation is over as we've got new light and new clarity on where they were coming from. 
And it makes everything more understandable as we talk more, because we're not out to get them. We're out to love them, so to speak, and we're committed to them. In part seven, we need to maintain an attitude of forgiveness no matter what the response. That's a potential, that's a potential uh, stumbling block. If they get defensive, if they're unkind, and if we respond in like kind, then things are gonna spiral down pretty quickly. So that's why, again, it's so important that we forgive before we go. And we have an attitude, they, they owe me nothing for my sake. This is not for me. This is for the glory of God always, and it's for relationship's sake, and it's their sake. For their sake, it is not for my satisfaction. It's not for my benefit. It's not so I'll feel better or I'll get what I want. Don't make agreement the goal. The other person may not agree to your satisfaction, part eight. Pray that the Lord will give, you, give both of you, you and the other person, understanding from his point of view, and that both of you will see more and more clearly as he sees the situation. So the ideal would be that you both agree with him and that everybody takes their responsibility in the midst of it all. And as it says in Proverbs 19:8, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who cherishes understanding prospers. Part nine, pray that honesty, understanding, truth, forgiveness, love, and obedience prevail in both of you, in both you and the other person. Again, those verses in Ephesians, where we're to put away bitterness and wrath, where to uh, speak the truth in love and to forgive one another even as we have been forgiven. Remember that reconciliation, part 10, will only take place if both you and the other person obey the Lord. One person can resolve an issue, but it takes two, actually it takes three, counting the Lord, to reconcile a situation. What I focused on today has to do with an interpersonal relationship. When it comes to other applications, for example, if you're a parent and you're confronting a child that's under your roof, whether they be a young child or whether they be a teenager, when you confront them, still it's for their benefit, it's not for your satisfaction, it's commitment to them and of course, with that confrontation, in a parental role, discipline may apply, consequences may apply, but more than one thing is true at the same time. Forgive them, yes, but to forgive them doesn't mean there's not consequences. To forgive them doesn't mean there's not discipline, because discipline is love. It's what's best for them. I think many times when we raise the question, a teenager, or another person, it doesn't, not limited to teenagers, anyone could ask this question. I've heard a variety of age groups ask this question. A person asks to be forgiven, the other person says, I forgive you, and then they want everything to go back the way it was with no consequences and no change, total trust restored, <coughs> just like nothing had happened. And that helps me understand, when I hear that, that helps me understand there's a lack of understanding of, of what forgiveness is. Because to forgive is one thing. Cancel the debt, you owe me nothing. A separate issue is discipline, as that would apply with a parent-child relationship. A separate issue yet is trust. Because if that person isn't trustworthy, it's not sin not to trust them. In fact, there's not a Bible verse, there's not a verse in the Bible that commands us to trust a human being. But sometimes we feel guilty when there's been a break of trust and the other person has asked for forgiveness. Sometimes we feel guilt, it's false guilt. We feel guilty if we don't trust that person, especially when they're saying, don't you trust me? And you're thinking, well, I don't, but I kind of feel guilty, I don't. Because I've forgiven you and you've asked and I feel like I should trust you, but I don't. But I feel like I should, but I don't. So what do I do? 
they're separate issues. Forgive is one thing. Consequences are another thing. Trust is another thing. That's why it is where there's been a break of trust. It doesn't mean that even though forgiveness has taken place, it doesn't mean that things go back to the way they were. Sometimes there needs to be appropriate limitations, whether it's in, the, in a husband and wife relationship where there's been a breach of trust, a parent-child relationship where there's been disobedience, a breach of trust, in a, an employment situation, a church body situation, any relationship actually, but if we're going to do things on God's terms, this is the perspective we need. And the temptation sometimes will be, because of the pressure from the other person, there'll sometimes be some pressure and temptation to, to, to give in to them because we want to please them and we want harmony and we want peace and we want to act like and seem like, and we want to cooperate, we don't want to be rigid. But we must see that a key solution in all of this, a key perspective is doing relationship on God's terms. Books have been written on boundaries. I, I prefer not to use the word boundaries, actually. I prefer to use the word, God, use the terminology of doing, doing relationship on God's terms because not that it has to work this way, but if we have a boundary mentality, I think sometimes we can use boundaries to hide behind and not take responsibility we need to take. It's like we put boundaries up to protect us from them. Yes, maybe we need that, but we also hide behind those boundaries and don't take the responsibility that God wants us to take, which may require some courage, which may involve a risk. But we can't just hide behind these boundaries and say, oh, I just got to set boundaries, just got to set boundaries. Well, are we worshiping the boundaries? Are we trusting the boundaries? Are we going to trust the Lord and do it on his terms, not theirs? Not theirs. If you feel trapped, we should not feel trapped in a situation. If we feel trapped or that we're in a no-win situation, we have given someone other than Jesus Christ the power to define that situation. Because winning is obeying God. And the attitude needs to be the first one to the cross wins. Winning, obeying God is winning. And it may not do any good. It may not make a difference in the relationship because it takes three. The other person may never change. They may never humble, humble themselves. They may never ask for forgiveness. They, never, they may not respond to the Lord. That will hurt, perhaps. That will be a repeated offense, perhaps. That will be a loss, perhaps, in relationship. But an opportunity after opportunity for us to draw closer to the Lord and for him to be our sufficiency, for him to be our reason, for him to define us and the situation, not the other person, not to worship their approval, not to have to have their approval, being willing to put that relationship on the altar and realize that if it ever becomes what God wants it to become, it'll be because he provided Jehovah Jireh, just like he did years ago with Abraham and Isaac. Will we put that relationship on the altar and realize that it will only be what God wants it to be if everybody involved responds to him and then we'll come together. Until then, is it enough that we do? respond to him, that we obey. Oh, yes, that may be hard. We'll need each other. We'll need fresh start. We'll need freedom. We'll need love. We'll need prayer. It'll be process. It could get messy at times. We won't always do it perfectly at times. We will fail. But it's never too late for a fresh start. And if we need a hundred fresh starts in a day, so be it. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness throughout the day. I find that liberating. That's not a license. That's liberty because he is a forgiving God. He is so committed to us. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And during the last portion of our time, we'll talk further after this uh, prayer and response. But I want you to respond, if you would. No pressure, just opportunity. 
grab a piece of paper, no pressure, and on that paper I want to invite you to forgive somebody you haven't forgiven. I want to invite you to write down the name of that person you're forgiving. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to ask you to bring it up here. We're going to shred it later. It's not for my reading enjoyment. It's between you and the Lord. Write down the person that you're going to forgive today that you know you haven't forgiven and you need to forgive from your heart. Number two, the person that you know you need to go to and ask for their forgiveness. The Lord has been speaking to you and you know he wants you to. Write that name down. And then thirdly, someone you know you need to go to and you need to confront them the way that I've presented it today. Write their name down as well. I want to pray, then I'll give you opportunity to bring what you've written down to the cross. Why the cross? Jesus died on the cross. It's the instrument of death, death to the self-life, alive to the resurrection life, separating yourself from those that you need to forgive, separating yourself from unforgiveness, rather, separating yourself from disobedience, separating yourself from the me-first life, separating yourself from not having courage and living in fear, separating yourself from all of that and agreeing with God that you're going to obey him, no matter what the cost, no matter what the result, no matter what the outcome, whether it does any good or not, but you'll enjoy the peace, the peaceable fruit of righteousness that comes from obeying him, like it says in Isaiah 32, 7, 17. So I'm going to pray, and then if you'll come. Lord, thank you. I pray you'll speak to each heart. I pray that we see is that as we obey, it's not responding to Steve, it's responding to you. And it's what we already know in our hearts that you want us to do. It's, 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 it's an obedience issue, Lord. And yes, it takes courage, we know. And yes, it, 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 it seems like we're doing it uh, with fear and trembling. But you will honor this, Lord. You will honor this as we forgive. You will honor as we go and ask for forgiveness, seeking to be reconciled. You will honor this as we go courageously. With courageous love and commitment, we'll go to the other person to confront and risk what they will say and do and risk their response. But we will know we're compelled by love and compelled by our love for you and our commitment to them. Thank you, Lord. Honor these acts of obedience, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.